Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in the book of Exodus this morning, continuing in our teaching series that we started uh, several weeks ago with the subtitle of Already, Not Yet. Um, You know, over the years, I have loved the book of Exodus. Uh, I have come back to the book of Exodus frequently because, as Pastor Terry told us a few weeks ago, Israel's story is our story. It is a uh, a narrative that, that that is a microcosm of the Christian life. For example, Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Egypt is a type of the world. And as we study Israel and their interactions with God as Father, as we study the way that that they progress through the wilderness and as they've been under God's care even in Egypt, we learn a couple things. Number one, we learn what to do. Secondly, we, we learn what not to do, right? And one of the things that we keep talking about with, with this narrative is Israel being set free from Egypt, being set free from Pharaoh. That's actually something that we talk about a lot. Jesus says, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, if you remember when God sent Moses to Pharaoh in chapter Uh, Chapter 4 of Exodus, here's what God said through Moses to Pharaoh. He said, let Israel go, make him free, why? That he may serve me. Now that is a part of freedom that we need to understand when we're talking about the Christian walk. Because Israel, right now, they're under the bondage of Pharaoh. They are serving Pharaoh. God wants to set them free, why? So that they can just run around and do whatever they want? No, it's because he wants them to be set free to serve him. He is the one that created them. He is the one that designed them. And so this picture of God freeing the Israelites from the Egyptians is a picture of our salvation. How? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus came into our, to the world, and through the gospel, through what he did for us, he conquered Satan, he conquered death, he conquered the world, and the greatest enemy he conquered, well, there's another one that's even greater than this, but he conquered us. He conquered the enemy that is within us to set us free. Why? just so we can do whatever we want. Now, there are some people that would say that. You know, I'm a Christian. I can do whatever I want to now. And in one sense, it's true. Because if you truly are a Christian, you are doing what you want. You serve, you're serving God. But that is what we, we need to see here. Because as Bob Dylan said, you're going to have to what? Serve somebody. Jesus said you can only serve one master. You're made to serve someone or something. And you are serving someone or something. And my question this morning is, are you freed to serve God? That's the title of my message this morning, freed to serve God. Are you freed? Have you been freed to serve God? And and that is a question that I want us to be able to answer this morning. How do you know, Christian, 
if you have been freed, if you right now are freed to serve God. And at the end of chapter 13, Israel is coming, has come out of a 400-year trial, and they are experiencing freedom and victory over one of their greatest enemies of all time, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And God has liberated them, but as we're going to see over the next few weeks, that their struggle is not over. In this case, the serpent's tail has been cut off, but the head is continuing to move, and it's moving again and threatening to recapture Israel. We're going to see that in this passage this morning. And this is a picture of just how when God sets us free from sin, when God sets us free from ourselves, sin has a way of somehow rising back up in our lives, coming after us, wanting to cause us to fear and to try to re-enslave us. And so this morning, as we make our way through our passage, my prayer has been that God will use our time together to instruct us, to correct us, and to encourage us along the way, so that when we leave here, we will know more fully of how we can serve and glorify God. Amen? All right, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 14, and starting with verse 1, I'm just going to work through the entire passage together. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel, now that remember, they've got a, I'm, a, I'm sorry, remember there is a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud by day that's leading them. So they are following behind this massive cloud during the day and this awesome pillar of fire by night. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-ha-heroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Ziphon. You shall camp facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now I want to stop there real quick and just remind you that when it says that God will harden, that word, that Hebrew word of harden, simply means to make strong or to encourage in. So basically what God is doing is he's taking Pharaoh's desire, which is to rebel against him, which is to uh, oppress his people. He's taking that desire and he's strengthening it. He's encouraging him in what Pharaoh already wants to do. Pharaoh will not repent. Pharaoh will not turn to God. He's set on that. So God is going to use him for his glory. It says, and he will pursue them. But... I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. They obeyed God. Just take note of that right here. The Israelites are obeying God. And as we're moving forward in this passage, I want us to, us to notice a pattern that's all throughout Exodus. It's a pattern that is in the lives of the Israelites, and it's also a pattern for us who are following God, those of us who are following Jesus, and it's this. You are, and I've got a graphic I want you to see. It says, you are either in the middle of a trial, you are coming out of a trial, or you're heading into a trial. I don't know who coined this. I did not make this up, but it is true. Right now, you are either in the midst of a trial because you're following God, you are in the midst of a trial, you are coming out of a trial, or God is gracious, and he's leading you into a trial. Um, And, you know, the thing is, when we come out on the other side of the trial, when we come out of the trial, 
we can see whether we passed the test that was within that trial. So when we're in the trial, whenever you're in the midst of a trial, you are going to either trust God in it and serve him in it in the midst of the hardship before he saves you. Before you see the way out, you're going to trust him. You're going to praise him. You're going to worship him in the midst of it. If you do that, if we do that, then we have passed the trial, the test. But if we don't, we fail the test. And many of us, I don't know how many times I have failed the test, but praise God, my salvation is not based upon that. God is faithful. He loved me before I ever stepped, uh, came into this world. He brought me into this world. He died for me before I ever made a mistake or continue. So he knows what I'm going to do. My sins have been forgiven. But if I fail the test, you know what I need to do? I need to learn from it. And he will, he's faithful. He's going to lead me back into another trial. So if you failed, we have a God that's merciful. Our sins have been paid for. And he wants to, all right, let's do it again. Because he's going to do this to Israel over and over again. And right now, the Israelites are the freest that they've ever been. They, have, uh, they came to a test while they were still in Egypt, and it seems like they passed it. Because if you remember, what God said was, I want you to take a lamb, kill it, and put blood on your doors, and then you will be saved. Now, that took faith, because that does not make sense, does it? But they did it. They obeyed God. Those who obeyed God, believed God, and obeyed God, their firstborn was spared, whereas the Egyptians were not. And so Pharaoh, crushed and beat down, says, get out of here. God frees his people. And so they are celebrating right now. They trusted the Lord. They obeyed him. And he freed them not only from Pharaoh, not only from Egypt, but also from themselves. They are no longer focused on themselves. They are praising God. They, they know who it is who saved them. And I know this for a few reasons. If you're taking notes, I've got a few gospel truths that I want to point out here that helps us know when you are freed to serve God. That's the question we're asking this morning. How do you know if you are right now where you're sitting freed to serve God? Here's the first one, and we'll, we'll see it in the passage. You're freed from fear. Those who are freed to serve God are freed from fear. And we know that they are unafraid. We haven't gotten there yet in the passage. But in verse 8, we know that they are unafraid because in verse 8 it says that Pharaoh, when he pursues the Israelites who were marching out boldly or defiantly. The Hebrew word for bold or defiant is actually hands raised. They're like, glorf they're, they're confident. Their heads are held high. They're not afraid of anything because they are walking in the victory of their God. They are fearless. And when we are freed to serve God, here's, here's a sign that you're freed. You will no longer be afraid of what people think about you in regards to you following Christ. You won't care. You will be so empowered by following God, you will not care. You will not fear man, keep you from sharing Jesus or living your life for Jesus. And secondly, you will not fear the cost. You will not be afraid of what God will take or ask from you. You will actually, you will want to give it all, knowing that you are walking in the love of a God who cares about you. If, you're, if you uh, are freed to serve God, the only one that you will fear is God. And that is true freedom. 
So when we are freed to serve God, number one, we're freed from fear. Secondly, we're freed to obey God. This is extremely important. Obedience is a proof of faith. It is a product, a a fruit of faith. And when we trust that Almighty God, when we trust that Almighty God is with us and that He is for us and that He loves us, I'm just basically saying the things I said last week about what we need to keep reminding ourselves that He has a plan, that He's for us, He sees us, He hears us, He knows us. When we truly believe that, we talked about this in missional communities this week. When we truly get that, guess what happens? The yoke upon us is easy. The yoke of Jesus is light. It's easy. Serving God is easy. And that's because our lives become open to God. We no longer are holding on to our lives. We, the, the cry of our heart is, Lord, do with me whatever you want. I am yours. It's, it's easy to obey God when, even when we don't know the details, even when we don't know where he's going to lead us. We don't In one sense, we're like, it doesn't matter as long as you're with us, as long as I'm with you, as long as I'm in your love. Now, on the contrary, here's how you know you're not walking uh, with, with the Lord in freedom. Here's how you know that you're walking in unbelief. It's because obedience becomes a drudgery. Obeying God Doing the things of God are difficult. It's kind of like trying to snow ski up a hill that's full of mud in the middle of summer. Uh, it's miserable. It's not enjoyable. And when you don't believe God, what happens? When you don't trust God, you begin to bring things in, right? You begin to hold things tight. You, you hold your time tight. You guard and seek to protect yourself. We build our fortresses. And then we begin using people for our benefits, or we begin shutting people out that are just in the way of what we want. Those are signs that we are not free to serve God. But right now, the Israelites are freed to obey God. And here's how I know, because they're obeying him in two things that don't make sense. If you remember, and I've got a map I want us to see here. Last week, we saw that that God is taking them not the quick way, but the long way to the promised land. On the map there, you see the the red circle there. There, That's Egypt. They're in the land of Goshen. Now, to the right there, see the orangish, yellowish line? That is the, the quick way to the promised land. That's the way that we want to go. I want to get there quick and easy. But the Lord's like, no, I love you. I'm taking you south. So that's what he does here. He's taking them south. And you can see there, uh, I don't know if you can see uh, Mig, is it Migdol? Yes. See where they're at at Migdol there, right below the circle? We don't know exactly where they crossed the Red Sea, but somewhere in there, God is having them kind of walk around in a way that makes them look confused and vulnerable. The thing that I'm, the point I'm trying to make out here is that they are trusting God. They aren't grumbling. They aren't questioning Him. They're doing what He said. They they are free of themselves. They're freed to serve God, and they are boldly obeying Him. And this is just a reminder. This this should be a reminder to us that when we follow God, a lot of times the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the situations that He leads us into, will not make sense. We, this is just a reminder. We've talked about this all the time. You're, if your life doesn't, if you're following God, listen. You know you're following God, and things are not making sense. Good, okay. 
you're in a trial right now. You're in a place where God has you. He's wanting to help you look to him, not to your circumstances. He wants you to trust him when things do not seem trustable around you. Secondly, it won't make sense, not just to you, but sometimes, or a lot of times, it won't make sense to the world that is watching us. We will seem like fools to the world, like, like we've lost our minds. First Peter 4, 4, the apostle Peter says, they, all speaking, they, speaking of the word, will be surprised that you do not join them in their lawless ways of thinking and living, and at times they will malign you. Now, I want to just stop here and, and say that one of the things that we know because uh, of the Word of God and because of Jesus, we know that all of us are going to stand before the Lord and give an account. Every person that's ever breathed and walked on the face of the earth will stand before the Lord one day and will give an account of the life that He entrusted to us. How did you... What did you do with it? Did you uh, come to Jesus or did you hold it to yourself in rebellion? And we know this. Another thing that we know is that on that day of judgment, those of us who have been uh, come to Christ and bowed our knee and surrendered because of his love for us, we know that we're okay. We know that we're safe because we are going to be dressed in a righteousness that is not our own. We exchanged our deeds for his deeds, and we're going to be clothed in his righteousness, forgiven of our sins, totally cleansed. But it's not because we were better than everybody else. It's only one reason. It's because God brought his mercy to us, and by grace, we responded to it. And so I'm saying all this to say that those who are maligning may malign you because you're following Jesus or make fun of you. Our place is not to be at war with them. Our place is to remember, that's me. That was me before I came to Christ, and I want them to see what I see. So we want to live our lives like Christ did. How did he treat us before we came to him? Mercy, grace, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering. And if you fail, what do you do? You, got, you know, I failed. Um, would you forgive me and get back up and keep living for Christ? But there are times that we will be seen, just like Israel's wandering around. Pharaoh thinks that they're confused and they've lost their mind. He doesn't realize that God is using his people to set a trap for him. So when we are freed to serve, to serve God, first thing we need to see is that we're going to be freed from fear. Secondly, that we're freed to obey God joyfully. And the third is that we're going to be freed to glorify God. Freed to glorify God. If you'll remember, if you'll, uh, remember back in verse 4, God says, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Now, to the unbelieving mind, um, this is repulsive. Thoughts like, who, who does, what kind of God would do that? I mean, who does he think he is? Well, he's God Almighty, for one thing. He is the greatest, uh, he is the only true and living God. And when his glory is displayed, it brings life. It brings uh, what we were created for. Things are in order when he is glorified. 
And who, those of us who have come to God through Jesus and have been set free from the world, from Satan, from ourselves, when we have been set free, you know what our heart cry is? Our heart cry is not to us, but to your name, O God, be all the glory and honor and praise. That is what our, the heart, the new transformed heart cries out whenever we are full of God, when we truly get who he is. We understand also in those moments when we, when we are free from ourselves, we understand that the story of life is not about us. We understand it's not all about us. Now, we are in the story. That we, we, we want to be clear of that. We're, we're clearly in the story, um, and it's, it's a story that God loves rebellious people and is merciful and is kind, and, and he died for us. But the hero is not us. The hero, all the glory, all the praise and honor goes to Jesus. And that's what the heart of someone who is freed says. May God be glorified. I want to see you glorified in my trials. I want to see you glorified in my, the times that I'm rejoicing. And right now, again, Israel is freed to serve God, freed from their fears, free to obey God, and freed to glorify God. That's where they're at right now. Now, we're going to go to verse 5, and all of that's about to change. So let's look at that. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us. In other words, have we lost our mind? We just, we just let our workforce go. Verse 6, so he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened or strengthened and gave courage to the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Right now, they don't, the, the people of Israel do not see um, Pharaoh and his armies. They are still bold. They are they're walking in fearlessness. Verse 9, the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea of Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. Now, as I said earlier, Pharaoh is a type of Satan, but he is also a picture of what an unrepentant human heart looks like. He's like, um, like an Esau or a King Saul who they were confronted with their sin, but they, and they were sorrowful, but it's not because they sinned against God. They're not sorrowful because of that. They are sorrowful because of what it's costing them. They're, they're sorrowful because of the consequences. And they are someone, Pharaoh is someone who obeys God. He does obey God, but it's not from a transformed heart that is responding to the love of God. But rather, it is a heart that has been crushed and forced against its will. All right, let me ask you this. You may be serving God this morning, but is it from a place of, of gratitude and, and life, or are you doing it because you're just afraid of what's going to happen if you don't serve him? This is, this is a, a, an account to help us to get to a place where we're serving God 
from with the right motives. And so Pharaoh obeyed God back in Egypt. When his son died, he's like, I can't take any more. I'm going to obey God now. And he gets rid of them. But because his heart is not changed, he rises back up in what he originally desired, an unchanged, unrepentant heart. And as we say a lot here, and as the scripture teaches, God doesn't desire that any would perish. That is not his desire, but many will. And my question is, why? Why are many, if not most people, going to perish according to the scriptures? Well, because like Pharaoh, it's, it's very simple. It's because people refuse to respond to the love and kindness and mercy of Jesus. It's very simple. People will not respond to what Jesus has done in kindness. And, there's, and you know, there's one thing about love. There's one thing about true love, and that is that it cannot, true love cannot be forced upon someone. You cannot force someone to love you. We all know that. And if someone uh, doesn't love God, the only reason that they don't love God is because they don't realize how much he loves them. See, the only reason you love God, if you love God and we love God, the only reason, it's not because of who, how awesome we are, it's because God showed us how much he loved us. And we believed it. And when we believed it, the Holy Spirit came in and made us alive in Christ. And now we are freed to serve the Lord. But if you don't, it's because you don't believe how much he loves you. But listen, if you're in that place this morning, even if you are a child of God, the answer is still the same. Look to the cross. Look to what Jesus did for you. Stare at what he did until you get it, until you remember, until you understand. He is not dying for his sins. He's dying for mine. And when that truth, that reality comes down upon us, it sets us free, again, to serve God. But because Pharaoh refuses to take to heart what he's seen, all those plagues that came upon him, the might of God, the power of God, his heart is staying hard against God. And when he regains his strength, his, he's, he's unchanged, and he continues in his rebellion. Verse 10 says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Do you see the pattern here? They were in a trial in Egypt. God's brought them out, and now he's bringing them back into another trial. And you know what I like about this is that they realize that they can't save themselves. When they look up and they see Pharaoh coming at them in the chariots, they realize that they are not prepared for the enemy that's coming to them. And it says they fear greatly. Now, really, that's not a big deal yet. That is not a, a, a big deal. Usually, before we exercise our faith, we experience fear. Because we come to realize, I can't handle this thing, whatever it is in your life, if, if something greater than me doesn't step in here. For example, if you see, uh, hear that a tornado, if we heard, heard that a tornado is coming our way, and, it, and we're dead center of a 
10-mile-wide tornado. I don't know if they, even they make them that big, but it's 10 miles comes, coming through here. We should healthily be afraid. That is a healthy fear, and what should we do next? Flee to safety. So our fear should cause us to flee to safety. And a tornado is headed towards the Israelites. They realize that they cannot save themselves. It produces fear. All right, we're good. They cry out to the Lord. But it's an unbelief. They don't cry out in faith. They cry out in unbelief. How do I know that? Because verse 11, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? What are they doing? They're pointing the finger at the wrong person. For, they're not pointing at the right person for one thing. Moses has done what he was supposed to do. He obeyed the Lord, and now the people are turning against him. They're pointing the finger. They're blame shifting. You, 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 you did this. God said, I have a plan of redemption. I have a plan to take you and make you prosper. And what are the Israelites basically saying? They're saying, no, you don't. God, your plan for me was to trick me and bring me out into the wilderness and kill me. Now, we don't say that in those words, but don't we sometimes think that? That God's just, he's, he's not even in this. He's, we're going to perish. I mean, that, we don't say it that way, but that's what our heart is saying. We are not, when we're in a place like that, we are not trusting in God. But you know, uh, we know that God's plans for the Israelites is not to destroy them. We know the rest of the story. They don't yet. They're in the midst of the trial. They're being called to trust God. But in verse 12, it says, Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. This is kind of a half-truth. They're rewriting history a little bit. God, they were crying out to God, save us. God sends a Savior. And when things don't go their way, that's when they go, well, we wanted to stay in Egypt. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Life in, in Egypt was bitter. It was unbearable. They, their sons were being put to death. It was horrible time. And also, they are not going to die in the wilderness. God is not taking them out there to kill them. And how do we know this? Because God promised that he had a plan, that he, was, that he cared about them, that he was going to take them to a place that, where they would prosper. Already, not yet. He promised already, but not yet. You got to be patient. You got to trust me. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to refine you. I'm going to test you. That's what's happening over and over and over in the book of Exodus. And in our trials, listen, we are tempted to do the same thing as what the Egyptians or what the Israelites did. It's, it's no different. So my question to us then is how can we be freed to serve God when we're in the trial, not after we get out? Now, they're going to go through the Red Sea and Chapter 15, woohoo, you're awesome, you're awesome. But they did not believe that until he, they walked by sight. We want to praise him, ooh, ooh, you're awesome, you're awesome, while we're in it. Who can stop the Lord God Almighty? We want to sing Lion and the Lamb while we're in the midst of the, of, of the fire. But how can we, according to this passage, how can we walk in that freedom right now in the midst of our trial? Verse 13 
This is what I opened the service with this morning. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Not of your hands. Quit looking at your hands. Quit looking at the enemy. Look at the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. I love this. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent, to enter into his rest. What does God want from them right now? He wants them to just remember what he did for them in Egypt and go, oh, here comes the enemy, fools. They should, did they not learn? We trust our God. So, number one, if we're going to walk in freedom, the first thing we have to do is, number one, quit focusing on your enemy. Quit focusing, quit looking at your enemy. Now, we need to acknowledge it. We are not a church that goes, you know, there's nothing bad happening here. No one's sick. No one's poor. No one has heart. We're not like that. You need to acknowledge it. Man, I'm going through a hard time here. So acknowledge it. But don't Praise it. Don't glorify it. Don't bow down to it. Don't exalt it above God to the point where you don't believe, to where you're in a hole. That's what we do. That's, what, what, that's what's so easy to do. It's so easy. You know, I was talking to Kelly this week, and we were looking at social media, and people are pointing out falsehoods, even in the church. And I'm like, that's easy. That is so easy to do that. I can do that. All, I don't even have to go to a uh, train to do that. I can just do it naturally. I used to think when I was... Younger, I thought I was just, just had this gift of prophecy, like I'm the prophet in the church because I can point out what's wrong. It's easy for me to but that's not, anybody can do that. Anyone can point at the enemy and just elevate it. Not that we shouldn't deal with falsehoods, but are we exalting God higher than those things? Because that really, what we need to focus on is not what's wrong, but what's, who is right. That is where we get our power. That's where we get our strength. When we focus on the God, that's what God wants them to do. Quit looking at your enemy. Turn your head up. Remember what I've done. Remember who I am. And so that's the second thing. We need to turn our focus to Jesus. Just like the, the old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus, we need to turn our focus to him. He is the founder and he is the per perfecter of our faith. We need to flee to the Lord. I remember when my kids, uh, when, we, when they were younger, we had some older kids and younger kids, and we used to play this game in our home where the older kids would be like a monster and chase the, the child, oh, I'm going to get you. And the child that, that was younger would, in joyful terror, run away screaming, trying to find me. And then I would pick the child up, and suddenly the child would go from fear to boldness. Why? Because they're in daddy's arms now. And I, I was stronger than the monster coming at them. And the, the child would suddenly be in, in, empowered, not by their strength, but because they're trusting in my strength. That is a lot of, of what it looks like when we go to God. We're not, we can't, you know, <clears throat> we don't stand up here and rebuke Satan. God does. We, we come through Christ. We are... I'm no match for Satan by myself, but in Christ, I am a lion. There's nothing that can hurt us or harm us in Christ. And so when we're in the middle of a battle and we fear, we need to flee to the Father and find refuge in him.
And I love that, you know what Moses does here? This is biblical uh, counseling 101. He points them back to God. That's really what counseling is all about. If somebody comes to you for advice, point them back to God. Point, keep pointing them back to God. We, now, we need to learn how to do it skillfully, but that's really what counseling is all about. It's, it's pointing people back to God, reminding people who God is. And so we can be at total peace. We can be free to serve God even in the midst of our enemies, even when they are advancing against us, even while we're still in the battle. Let's look at verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night long. This must have been a glorious sight. As God was leading the children of Israel from the front, he moves around to the back and stands right in the middle of danger, between danger, the enemy. Just think, It's at nighttime. It's the pillar of fire blazing, and Pharaoh cannot advance because God's hand is up holding back. And so this should be a re reminder to us, church, that God, our God, stands between us and our enemies, and that everything that comes to us must go through our God. They have, right now, Israel has nothing to fear. They can rest in God, and his glory is being seen. Verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. Now, it, there are some that try to explain, you know, how this happened. And they, they say that the, the Red Sea is actually the Sea of Reeds, which could be true. I'm not sure exactly all that. But that basically this was like three inches of water and that the wind blew and dried out the land, and that two million people <laughs> marched across to the other side. Even Okay, if you take that view, which I hope you don't, um, there's still a miracle because, as someone has, many have said, Pharaoh and his, his army drowned in three inches of water. You know, so regardless of which way you want to go with that, which I hope you'll go with, with, with the reading here, it says that there was walls of water that they go through. This is a mighty, this is one of the greatest works Apart from the cross, this is probably one of the greatest works that's ever talked about in the Bible, how God separated the sea in a mighty act. 
verse 22, and it says, And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord... In the, and in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And we need to take heed to this part of the, of, of the, of the scriptures here. Pharaoh and his the Egyptians see the truth. But the only problem is it's too late now. They see that God is for the Israelites, and it's too late. And, you know, this just reminds me of Jesus' words when he says, there comes a time when the owner of the house will stand up and close the door. Right now, listen, Church, we know this, but I want to remind us that right now the door of salvation is open. We're in a, a, what we call the, the age of grace, where God is saying, come to me. Come to me. Surrender to me right now. I want to pour out my love upon you. I want to wash you clean of all your sin. I want to, I want to give you a hope. I want to clothe you in, uh, in my righteousness. I want to give you a hope. I'm going to restore all things and make them new. But you've got to be uh, conquered. Your heart has got to be conquered. And I want to conquer it, not through force, but I want to conquer it through what my son did for you on the cross. And that door is open right now, this very moment. It's open to anyone who will bow their knee and come to Christ. Now, every knee is going to bow. Every knee is going to confess that Jesus is, is Lord. And I'm not up here standing trying to scare you, that, you know, of hell. That's not going to keep you. I'm trying to convince you God loves you, and he's calling you to come to him this morning. That is the gospel. That is what conquers the heart in a way that transforms it into a new heart that serves God from freedom. So we need to take a look at this passage Pharaoh and them see the truth, but it's too late. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to flee to the Lord. Verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come upon back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horses. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled into it. The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day. From the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Verse 31 Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, the Red Sea is a picture of baptism. How, just as Israel passed through the waters, they passed from death 
to life. They, in one sense, this is a picture of the resurrection as they come to the other side. And just as Moses told the Israelites that they would never see their enemy again, God drowned them in the sea. They didn't have to keep looking over their back when they're out in the wilderness. That's a picture of the gospel. Just as Moses told them that, Jesus, the greater Moses, tells us, hey, I have taken care of your enemies. I have drowned them at the cross. I've, I've conquered Satan. I've conquered the world. I've conquered death. And I want to conquer your heart in love. You don't have to keep looking back over your shoulder, even on the sins that, that attack you. Acknowledge them. If you fail, confess them. Keep moving forward. We don't have to keep looking at the past. We can walk in freedom, in victory, if we will remember the works of Christ on the cross. And so this morning, I just want to ask you, where are you? Where are you on that triangle? Are you in the midst of a trial right now? Are, are you coming out of a trial? Or is God preparing you to go back into one? Well, let me just remind you that God, wherever you are on this spectrum, God wants us to experience his victory. He wants us to experience his rest. He wants us to be freed to serve him, not just when we're out of the trial, but we're, when we're in the trial, all throughout the journey. And I just want to close again with the words of Moses, who said, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he has already worked for us through Jesus Christ. The Lord will fight for us. We have only to be silent. Amen.